Hello everybody, welcome to the Chris Roberts Show. Today I've got a bit of a treat for you. My guest is Michael Heppel. Michael is an international best-selling author of seven books, including How to Be Brilliant. His books have been translated into 27 languages and include the Sunday Times number one bestseller, Flip It. His latest, 17, The Little Way to Get a Lot Done, was launched in September 2020. His passion is presenting. He has been described as one of the top three professional speakers in the world. He works with individuals individuals and organisations who are dissatisfied with being good and have a desire to be brilliant. Through his events and coaching, Michael has worked with everyone from Category B prisoners to business leaders, from premiership footballers to TV personalities. Davina McCall credits Michael as the person who in one hour changed her life. Michael works with his wife and business partner Christine and in 2001 they set a goal to positively influence one million lives. Yes, that's one million lives. Through presentations, training, books, audio programs and coaching they hit this target several years ago and now have the goal to positively influence everyone they connect with. This is a fantastic episode. Michael really pulls it out the bag and gives some excellent advice for would-be writers like you and me i highly recommend you check it out don't forget to subscribe let's get into the episode the hand is mightier than the sword a podcast for writers the chris roberts show michael welcome to the show well it's brilliant to be here thank you so much for inviting me chris you're, you're a successful coach keynote speaker non-fiction author with a long list of books already under your belt, 27 plus languages, 80 countries, and you've worked with some very interesting people, some of them celebrities, a massive list of businesses. Can you tell me a little bit about your journey so far and in particular your, your kind of writing journey? Oh, well, do you know, I have to stop this from being the boring bit of an interview because when people get asked that, they normally say, well, I was born in this or that. And nobody gives a chuff about where you were born or really about your background. You want to get to the meaty stuff. So let's do the meaty bit straight away, Chris. So I am, um, I was very, very lucky that I'm able to chat with people. I'm a good, a good talker. I didn't think I was a good writer. I was told at school that I wouldn't do anything with the English language. My wonderful old English teacher, Miss Lumsden, uh, just put in my last school report, Michael will never do anything with the English language, which was fair enough because I was going to be a roofer and work for my dad. And I did that for seven years. And then I became a, a youth worker and then a fundraiser. And then I became a, a, a speaker. And I used to record audio programs because I never thought I could write. And I was doing audio programs and I did the classic, you know, you're, you'll be too young to remember this, but people used to have CDs. CD sets of um, personal development. And I made one of those. And one day I gave it to a guy I called uh, David Bell. And he was the director of people for a publisher called Pearson, one of the biggest publishers in the world. And he said to me, Michael, is this a book? So I no, he said, well, it should be. I was like, oh, great. Well, what do I need to do? He said, well, have a chat with um, Rachel Stock, who's one of our publishers. She's from near you. So I live in Newcastle upon Tyne, just outside of Newcastle. She lived in south of Leeds. People in the south of England, they think everything in the north is all together. <laughs> it was two hours apart, but I was fine. And I had a meeting with Rachel. And in the meantime, I set a goal. I will have a book published by the end of the year. And this was just before Easter. And I remember meeting up with Rachel and we had this great conversation. I said, I want to write a book called How to be brilliant. And we got the end of the meeting and Rachel said, yeah, let's do it. We'll publish it. Like, brilliant. Great. Um, It needs to be out by the end of the year. And she was like, oh no, no way. It can take 18 months. 
I was like, what do you mean 18 months? No, no, no. I've set a goal. It has to be out by the end of the year. She's like, well, I'm sorry. There's no way we can do that. So come on, there's always a way. Rachel, come on, let's be creative. There's always a way. And she said, the only possible way we could do this is if you had the manuscript already written. Because I've just had an author yesterday drop out because he's not going to hit his target, his deadline. And we could maybe put you into that slot, but it would have to be finished. And I looked her in the eye and said, it is, it's finished. And she went, really? You haven't mentioned that before. And I was like, yeah, 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 I've done it. It's all written. She says, could you get, and this was the Thursday before Easter. She says, could you get it to me by Tuesday next week? I was like, yeah, no problem at all. And I left that meeting and I rang my wife from the car and I said, Christine, cancel everything this weekend. We're writing a book. And we did. And we wrote How to Be Brilliant in Four Days. I like that. There's a couple of pieces in there that um, stand out to me. So the first is I'm, I'm a big believer in, you know, when opportunities like that present themselves to you, seizing them, you know, and, and obviously you've done that. And the second point is around the impact of other people's comments on potentially on your future. So you mentioned a person who said you'll never do anything with the English language and potentially you could have just accepted it. Yeah, believed that, yeah. accepted it. And that could have become your reality. I had a similar thing at school where a careers advisor, for some reason, I wanted to be an accountant, not my dad. And this person laughed when I said, they said, they said, you know, have you considered admin work? Nothing wrong with admin work, but it's kind of that put down, isn't it? And um, I'm a chartered accountant now. That's kind of spurred me on. You know, the interesting thing, Chris, is um, I, I have, um, I sent an email out recently to people who were interested in in writing, you know, the, your audience, people who love to write and love books and interested in uh, the, the process of being an author. And I called it Time to Kill Miss Lumsden, not because I really wanted to kill Miss Lumsden, but it was the memory of it. And I think we all have that. And people, you know, you put your book out and you get a bad review. You, you ask somebody's opinion. And what you really wanted them to say was, hey, best mate, it's great. You ask a family member for their support and they go, or you shouldn't write something like that. It's like, why, why do we listen to that? We should be surrounding ourselves, you know, listen to stuff like you're producing and saying, come on, where's the support? Where's the encouragement? Let's get more people writing and more people getting stuff out there. Definitely. I totally agree with that. There's quite a good community online for writers and they tend to be quite supportive. It's quite surprising really because online, particularly on my, well, my personal experience on Facebook, you know, so many negative people, you know. Um, Honestly, the, 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 the thing with Facebook is it's like a tabloid newspaper. So a lot of people do go on there and they and they are they find the negativity. And once you start finding the negativity, Facebook's gonna give you more negativity. That's how it works. I'd say the algorithm works. So I set up a group, first of all, called How to Be Brilliant. And I had no idea if it was going to work. We've got three and a half thousand members now, and it is the beacon of positivity. People are on there, they're helping, they're supporting, they're encouraging. And interesting, what happened last year was I, I put out this note and I said, Look, if I could teach you something else, what would it be? So I've written books on time management, how to save an hour every day. I've written books on customer service. I've written books on being brilliant, about getting the edge. So I gave a list of things. Then just at the last minute, I put into this survey, learn how to write a book. 75% of the people came back and said, I'd love to know how to write a book. And that told me something, Chris. It said, you know what? That old adage, everyone's got a book inside them. Maybe. Maybe that is the case. Well, 75% of people maybe do. And then the next thing is that, well, how do I get it out? What, what, what's stopping people from getting it out? And, I, and I've identified three limiting beliefs. Would you, could I share those with you? Please do. Yeah, yeah. So the first one is people, it's, it's a massive lack of confidence. You know, it's like, I don't think I'm good enough. And even, but the interesting thing is, even the Stephen Kings of the world have that. All authors have it. So you might as well just learn how to deal with it. So it's not whether you 
feel confident or not, it's you, you will feel lack of confidence. How do you deal with it? Second thing is that people procrastinate, especially authors. The things that people find to do instead of writing words is incredible. You know, it's like, oh, well, I'll just do this. I'll, when that's finished, then I'll start my book. Or I'll do it when I'm going to go away for a week in France and then I'll do it. And I'll write it on a, on a balcony overlooking the Mediterranean. You have to just get on and do it and write every day. And then the, the third thing is how. I don't know how. Well, actually, that third thing, the how, is what I found I can, I can show people. I can teach people exactly how. And not, not in a way that people feel, you know, like it's a, a writer's retreat. I'm not going to teach you how to write your book. I can give you a few tools and techniques. What I'm interested in is getting that book from your head, through your fingers, into a keyboard, created, produced, and put into a format that you can publish and sell. I'm not talking about Harry Potter numbers. I'm talking about selling enough so you've covered all your costs. It feels good. You don't end up with a garage full of books. Yeah, no one wants to end up with a garage full of, of books, do they? <laughs> no, of course not. Um, you kind of touched on the imposter syndrome uh, thing there, which is quite interesting. I know a lot of CEOs and people like that still kind of, you know, people at the top of their game still kind of have that. I know you've worked with a number of celebrities, you know, I'm not expecting names or anything, but um, when you've kind of worked with them, do you still detect that kind of imposter syndrome, even at the highest levels? All the time. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll do a name drop because she has written about me extensively and talks about me extensively. Um, so I coached Davina McCall and Davina, um, for those people listening in the UK will know that she's, you know, TV presenter. She was famous for a program called Big Brother and she was known for Big Brother. And when I first started to work with her, she said, Michael, I, I'm terrified that I will only ever be known for Big Brother. And then when I leave Big Brother, there's, there's nothing else. And we've seen it happen before with other people. I also, my agent is forcing me down this route. So I would like to have a new career and a new agent. Can you help me with that? And I was like, yeah, of course I can. So this, in the first session that we had, she said, um, I gave her a challenge. Give me three people who you really admire from the, from your world. And one of them was a guy called Simon Fuller, who's the person behind the Spice Girls and, you know, the brand Beckham and all that type of stuff. And I said, well, why don't you just give him a call and ask for a meeting with him? She said, I can't do that. Not with Simon Fuller. What? I, I said, come on, you're Davina McCall. Ring him. She said, no, no, I can't, I can't do it. I said, pick up the phone now and do it. So she rang his office and um, uh, 19 management, I think they, they were called. And she said, oh, hi, it's Davina McCall. Can I speak to Simon Fuller? She says, I'm really sorry, um, but he's in Los Angeles at the moment. She says, oh, no problem at all. Tell him I've called. Yeah, prob- done. Literally three minutes later, a phone rang. She went, oh my goodness, it can't be. Can I? I said, pick up the phone. She answers her phone. She was like, hi, Davina. She goes, hi, it's Simon Fuller. I can't believe you've called. <laughs> so she's like, yeah, um, look, I'm with a coach and he's, and I'm, and I'm wanting to re-engineer my future and I want to think about new management and stuff. Like he said, I'm really sorry I'm away now. I'm back in two days. Can we have lunch? Now, yes, that's quite, you kind of go, well, that's all right for Davina. But the point of the question was, do people suffer from imposter syndrome? Yes, at every level. What stops that? What, what can you do to get out of that? First of all, get people around you who are happy to help. So a coach is always good. But if you can't afford a coach, I don't want to use a coach. People who are great mentors, people who will be there to help and support. And a lot of people will mentor you for free. Don't ask for a lot. Just ask for three sessions. That's my advice always. If you want a mentor, don't say, will you mentor me? Because people think, oh, God, that's the rest of my life helping this person. I want three sessions with you. Want to tell you what I want to do. Want to check in and want to say thank you at the end. That's it. Great. And then also join communities where people are disposed to want to help. They're not there to criticize. You know, they're not being critics. We've got enough critics. 
verdicts are there to help and support. And that's brilliant. So how would one go about getting a good mentor? Because I suppose there's the opportunity to be mentored by all kinds of average people, but you want to surround yourself with people who are, you want to absorb the qualities of people who are ahead, don't you? That's such a brilliant question, Chris, because opinions are like belly buttons. Everybody's got one. If you want someone to mentor you, you probably want somebody who's been there, done it and got the t-shirt. If you want someone to coach you, then you need somebody who knows coaching technique. So sometimes people get the two mixed up. So a mentor is probably a bit ahead of you and will help and support you and say, look, here's a few tricks of the trade. Here's what to look out for and that type of thing. If somebody is a coach, they'll know how to get the very best out of you through usually through questioning techniques and and that type of stuff. So a a great mentor is one that you're a little bit frightened to ask. That person, you look at them, you go, not them because they're just, oh, that's too much. So if I was a chef, and I wanted to learn about chefing, I would find somebody who's a Michelin-starred chef. Now, the first five I ask might say no, but the sixth one might say yes. And that would be great. And I would be connecting with them on social media. I would be bigging them up. So when it came along for me to ask, they're not suddenly going to go, who's this person? It's going to be, oh, that's Michael who commented on that post and reposted this and gave me that great advice on and shared his stuff on his own. uh, Here's my stuff on his own blog, that type of thing. So I I would do that. And in terms of finding a coach, then you know what? The the thing with coaches is I would always say, can I have a first session just to see how we get on? And a good coach, a confident coach will give you a first session for free. You should always expect pay. If you're going to be coached by somebody good, don't expect it for free because that's their job. The same way as, you know, you wouldn't, I tell you what, I'll do an audit for you just for free to see how we get on. No, you wouldn't do an audit for free, but you might have a chat with them about their business and their business processes and how they're going to improve their cash flow and do a bit of that and then pick up that next bit of business. That's really good advice. And in terms of like, if, if some of my listeners who are obviously writers want to find a mentor, someone who's more established, someone who's been published, had some success, what would be the best way potentially of actually approaching that person okay i would um go to write that book.co.uk and just email me just message join my list and message me that's how i get in touch with people i've built a community of people who are writers and authors some have written 10 books some have got the embryo of their first book it doesn't matter what level you're at and you know join my community come come together and and do that i give help and advice all the time to people within that community if that's not your thing and you want to approach a, um, an author directly then you've got to give them something first. Like, honestly, on Twitter and things like that, I get people all the time coming in and kind of going, hi, I'm about to write my first book. Can you give me a load of advice? Well, I've never heard from you beforehand. You know, you've never you've never mentioned my stuff. LinkedIn's the worst one for that. People coming to LinkedIn trying to sell you something. And I always just say, what did you think of my, and then give them my last campaign or the last thing that I posted. So I did a thing at the start of the year called 21 ways to make 2021 your best year ever. And I would just immediately, when somebody asked me for something, I would say, what did you think of my 21 ways? Most didn't come back. Some came back and went, oh, I've had a look at it now. Michael looks really good. I really enjoyed number four. That really tickled me. Then I'll have a conversation with them. Then when they say, oh, here's what I do, I'm more open to it. But just that idea of just broadcasting out there and hoping you're going to hit with somebody. You know, it's like your podcast is brilliant for me because I want to communicate with writers. This is ideal. If somebody was a, um, oh my, I'm doing a podcast about civil engineering. Wow. I want to talk to successful people. Well, I've never done civil engineering, but you were a roofer once. That's a bit too much of a tenuous link. So focus, go into your niche, find people who are there, find people you love and admire. And if it's an author, make sure you've read their book and make sure you comment on something specific about their book, a a particular tool or a technique or a chapter or a character or something like that. Because all authors have 
goes and they all love to hear how much people are enjoying their work I really like that because a lot of people probably I mean everybody even myself included at times I'm sure um, come across like they just want something out of you but building that kind of relationship showing interest and definitely giving something back that's of value so it's a reciprocal arrangement I think is excellent and going back to something you mentioned previously about teaching people to form their ideas about what they want to write and getting that down into onto paper yeah can you tell us a bit about how to settle on a core message or theme and and then develop that and clarify it so ready for packaging up oh, great question again so one of the biggest challenges i find when i'm helping new writers and coaching new writers is they they want to do everything in one book so i've got a guy at the moment who's writing a, a book on health and i mean health what a massive area i was like Dean, you can't write everything you know about health. You've been in the health profession for 26 years. Pick something. Pick something that you want to focus on and write around that. You can put, put your other things in as well. So well, how do I know? I said, well, what's the favorite thing that you like to teach? What are you best at? What's the thing that when somebody works with you, they go, oh, I love that. And that that's where you start. So, and then once you get that initial idea, then I think the most important thing is to create a, a, a promise, not necessarily the title. So as you think, oh, I'll have to have the title first. And that's quite a difficult thing because sometimes the title comes from writing the book. You know, so we had another guy recently who he got very hung up on the title and he He's writing a book about British retail and what's happened in the world of high street retail. That's his specialist area. And he's he's got a brilliant business that supports retailers and helps people. He wanted to write a book that would support his business. Well, honestly, Chris, some of the ideas that he had for his book, The Demise of British Retail from 1978 to 2004, some of the, uh, all that type of thing. Anyway, he's, he's, I said, just start writing. So he started to write and he started putting things together. Then he came back and he posted something that he'd written. And in there, there were two words. I said, I don't know if you realize, but Jeff, you have written the title of your book in there. He goes, well, I said, there you go. That second paragraph, fourth word in. And he went, oh yeah, that's good, isn't it? His book is now called Where's Woolies? How brilliant is that? Everybody knows Where's Wally? Where's Woolies? Everyone knows about Woolworths. It's no longer there. It's the classic demise of the high street that Woolworths would stop being there. Everybody went to Woolworths, but clearly not. So, and now he's got his idea. Now he's got his niche. Now he can start and write about that. And then he thought, actually, what I should do is I should track individual brands. So like what happened to our price? Everybody knows about Blockbuster being taken over by, you know, the, the Netflix and stuff like that. What about some of the other ones? You know, what what happened? Where did it go wrong? Why did it go wrong? Uh, that type of thing. So suddenly he's got his niche now and each of the chapters is about a different company and you can identify it at that and you can jump around the book and it becomes much more readable. So I think finding out what you, your real passion is, first of all, you've got to love it. Um, don't worry about the title, but think about the promise. What are people are going to get the title will come later on and then the next thing is just the the discipline of sitting down and writing and that's what people find very difficult and you know the i'm really busy oh i've got i've got a lot on oh i'll do it at the weekend stuff like that if that's you then i'm afraid you probably won't write your book it's got to be a discipline of i just write something every day even if it's 100 words but i do it every day I'll write something. And actually, if you sit down and you think, oh, I've only got a few minutes, I'll write 100 words, you'll probably write 250 anyway. And that's what gets it over the line. Yeah, once you get into that flow, it, it starts to creep forward, doesn't it? And having that momentum, yeah. momentum's the key, I think, isn't it, for that? I really like how that idea for that book kind of slotted into place and everything fell in behind there. Is that your experience as well with your books? Well, yes and no. I mean, I've always had a very clear idea about what I wanted to write about. I wrote a book called Flip It and... 
Flip It is effectively a book about reframing. So there's a, a technique in personal development called reframing, where you take a negative situation and turn it into a positive one. There's a, a mate of mine who coaches life coaches. And every time we talk about Flip It, he always says, you sod, you nailed, you nailed it in two words, Flip It. So I've been trying to think about how to get, how to do something on reframing for ages. And he said, and you've just absolutely nailed it. And he said, it's basically that whole book is one idea and one story told in a different way in every chapter. And I was like, yeah, and he goes, it's not a criticism. It's brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant. And you know what? It, it, it did very well. I mean, that was the dream for any author is the magic words, Sunday Times bestseller. Not Amazon half an hour in some strange niche categorization. This is Sunday Times bestseller. And my book flip it was number one. It was only for one week, <laughs> just for one week. But you know what? I am a Sunday Times number one best-selling author. That's incredible. And that was because of Flip It, the book that is basically one idea and the same thing told in different ways. But people love it. And it's sold so... And, and this last year, and this massive resurgence because people are kind of going, there is a lot of negativity. How do I flip it? You know, psychiatrists and psychologists give it to their patients. You know, it's it's a... it's a, I couldn't believe that it, it, it did so well. But I set out with a very clear goal with that. I wanted to teach people reframing in a way that they would just get it. Do you think that simplicity of message was the key to it doing so well? Um, that and Chris Evans on Radio 2 saying to 7 million people, this is the best personal development book I've ever read. Everybody should buy 10 copies. It's my Christmas book recommendation. I think that helped. <laughs> that definitely would have helped. So how did that come about? Were you already working with celebrities at that point? No, I mean, I, I knew some people, but I didn't know Chris Evans. Basically, I, I thought Chris would be a good person to talk about the book. I had a, a hit list of five people. I wanted to see about a guy to get on Steve Wright in the afternoon because he does good stuff with the books. Chris Evans, that was number two. This morning, still haven't been on this morning, but I thought that would be really good for talking about the book. And there was a, there was a couple of others. So I looked at, well, what's the best way to get a book in Chris Evans's hand? I can post it to Radio 2. They get a 100 books a day, a 100 books a day, mostly unsolicited, just sent through. There's a slush pile. They've got some researchers looking through stuff. If something comes out, great, unlikely. Our publisher, um, Pearson, biggest publisher in the world, smallest marketing budget in the world. They, they're going to do some very, very niche stuff if they can, but they're not going to spend a lot on it. So I thought, Thought, right, what's the best way to get to Chris via his agent? So I did a bit of research and I found out who his agent was and I got in touch there and I asked, would you give him a copy of the book? This guy had a little bit of a soft spot for me. He said, yeah, I'll do it. He said, no promises though. He was on who told me, he said, they must get a hundred books a day into Radio 2. I said, no, but not, I'm not asking you to give it to Radio 2. I'm asking you to give it to Chris next time he's in your office. So I wrote a really nice note to him and a nice note to Chris and I sent through the book and and nothing happened for three weeks. I thought I wonder if it's actually happened or not. And then Radio 2 called and said, hi, uh, Michael, it's um, I'm a producer on the Chris Evans show. Chris read your book yesterday and he absolutely loves it and he wants you to come on the show this week to talk about it. Would you be happy to do that? <laughs> That's yes. fantastic, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll happily do that. Of course I will. And sure enough, I did the interview. And you can you can go on my website and you can listen to it. It's unbelievable. I mean, I, I was completely blown away by how much he loved the book. And he properly read it. And you know, the um, person who does the traffic, Sally Traffic, he's pitching it to her why she needs to buy a copy and buy a copy for all of her friends. And this is a life changer. It's a game changer. It's amazing. It's it's the turkey with all the trimmings. It's the ultimate. And I'm sat on the end of the phone about to do this interview thinking, oh my 
goodness. He's talking about me. That's a really great achievement, that is. I really admire your proactivity for not letting that barrier stop you. You know, if you want to contact someone or if you want to do something, you just go and do it. Yeah, and there's all this thing is there's always a way. You know, one of the things that we teach people in Write That Book is how to market your book. And, you know, hey, if you get if you get on the radio too, brilliant. It's game over. You're done. There's you know, between seven and nine million people listen to uh, every day on Radio 2. But we had somebody recently, a brilliant guy called uh, Ian Pelby. Ian wrote a book called Are We There Yet? The story is very simple. Ten years ago, when his kids were 10 and 8, him and his wife took them out of school and went backpacking around the, the world for a year with their kids at that age. I mean, it's just crazy. And then he said, I always wanted to write a book about it, but he didn't have the confidence, didn't know how. He joined Write That Book and he published the book. And he and the great thing with Ian is he listened all the time. How do I want to do this? So he built up a little tribe to begin with. Then he knew exactly how to get his local publicity. So he got lots of local publicity. And now he, he lives in Edinburgh and he's gone to every independent bookshop and even the bigger ones, even the Waterstones. And he said, I will be very happy to come along and do a talk about this, explain it, how we did it, all the, the ups and downs with it. And obviously... You make all the profit on the books. I don't want to get a penny from the books. You make all the profit from it. I'll help you to publicize it as well. Here's an article from the Scotsman. Here's a, a Edinburgh Evening Post, whatever. These are this is the publicity already. Would you like to do it? What do you think they're saying? Yes, no problem at all. Would love to do that. So what he's finding now is he's he's self-generating more and more publicity. And I think sometimes authors, what they think is, well, you know what? I'll, I'll put my book out there and it's going to land on its merit. It's not. You've got to promote it and you've got to know how. This actually leads on nicely to my next question, actually. What's the suggested process for identifying and then reaching out and building a strong, highly engaged audience in that situation. Chris, you're asking all the right questions today. <laughs> this is spot on. So the classic thing is work out who your, we call them your avatar. Who who are you writing this book for? As soon as somebody says to me, oh, it'll appeal to everyone. I think, uh-oh, no, it's not. I'll give you a great example. We've got somebody who's just joined our latest, write that book group. And she said, I'm writing erotic fiction for the older generation. I was like, really? She goes, yeah, think 50 shades for 50 plus. <laughs> right. I, <love> it. <laughs> I was like, wow. So she says, so she knows exactly who her avatar is. So first of all, it's 50 plus, it's women, it's people who've got a bit of time on that and they've got to spend money on, on books. So then she said, right, I need to just work out the channel I'm going to go down and who who might be interested. So guess who she's targeting for our first big interview? Saga magazine. Oh, oh yeah. So genius. <laughs> She couldn't care less about sticking it all over Twitter. She's going straight for Saga. Could that be any better for an audience? It's perfect. So, you know, if I will be thinking, right, where's my what's my niche? Who am I writing for? Uh, create your avatar and then visualize them and think, right, where do they hang out? What are they interested in? And serve them. And sometimes people say to me, well, that's all right if you're writing a, um, a nonfiction book. If I was writing a book on customer service, I'll be finding where customer service managers are and doing that. But my book's a fiction book. I can't do that. Yes, you can. Where, how are you doing your research? You know, well, my book's set in 1924 in Jarrow in the northeast of England. And it's about a Polish family who came over after the First World War. Great. So who you find out, communicate with people in Jarrow, people who are third generation of people who might have done that same journey, the clubs, the societies, the surnames of people with the same as your characters, all that type of stuff. Just start and engage them and put stuff out there and, hi, I'm doing this. Comment on other people's stuff before you start promoting your own comment on others. Start and build up a following on, on Instagram. I've got three different ideas for a, a book cover. Which one do you like best? 
People love all that type of stuff. Even if you've made your mind up, always give people a choice on the covers because it engages them. Change your description of yourself on LinkedIn to rather than being, you know, um, senior accountant with or, you know, um, veterinary assistant or whatever it might be, veterinary assistant and author. Oh, so let's just change the name or what you're doing. Oh, I'm writing a book on and that type of stuff. There's, there's loads of these things. If, and if you just do half of them, you'll do really well. If you do the other half, you do really, really well because it, it becomes exponential, Chris. And, you know, five people becomes 50 people very, very quickly. 50 becomes 500 even faster. 500 becomes 5,000 because you keep doing the same things over and over. I like the idea of, um, sort of more targeted, more niche. It's, it's easy to kind of go on. Or it, easy to assume that just going on trying to build a random audience on the name instagram or whatever is the way but you're better off having a hundred engaged people than a thousand passive followers is it a good idea to begin building that audience begin putting these blocks in place maybe before even the book has been completed i've got one friend who is a non-fiction author he's putting together a book at the moment and this was a question he wanted me to ask you about you know whether he should or how you would um, start to build that audience in advance ready for launch yeah this is this is gold dust this is exactly what you need to do the number of times when people come to me this oh i've written my book now i'm going to start and publicize it completely the wrong way around you should be publicizing all the time now here's a trick for everybody who's listening first of all start to promote your book because it will make you write as soon as you tell people you're going to write a book give it a publication date i'm writing a book it's going to be published on the 30th of september man i better get writing i'm i better do it I, everybody's expecting it now so it makes you write second as you're doing stuff, you can create a bit of interest. You can create, it's like a trailer. Just finished chapter seven. Just did this, just did that. You know, a, a photograph, a picture of you writing, doing something, a little live broadcast. You know, this is my process, my desk set up like this. Anything at all that you're doing. If you're an illustrator, a little thing of you painting a, a picture or, or whatever it might be, you start and do that. And then as you're getting close to finishing the book, pre-sell. Now we, we, I teach people this now all the time on write that, uh, on my write that book course, pre-sell your book so that two things happen. One, you've got an idea about how many initial sales you're going to make. Secondly, if you've engaged enough with your tribe of people, they're going to be happy to pre-buy it. You know, you're not asking for a thousand quid. You're asking for 1299. It's not the end of the world. You know, people, yeah, I'm in. I'll do that. Then you can order your copies, finish the book, print them, and on your first day sell. 200 before you put it onto Amazon, before you do anything else, sign copies of my book the day it comes out, do a little online party, do a little online launch on a Zoom, get other people who are involved, get your mate to host it. There's loads of things that you can do like that. And guess what? I'm, I'm not selling a book and now suddenly going, oh, by the way, hey, will you buy my book? You've kind of got people going, I've bought your book. When's it coming out? Are you still going to hit September the 30th? I can't wait for it to arrive. Actually, I want three because I'm going to buy some for Christmas presents. I love that. I, lo I love the idea of setting yourself something that's that accountability of setting the date and pressurizing uh, yourself to kind of get there i think that's excellent now and you know what chris even if you don't if you don't hit the date as long as you haven't pre-sold i would always say this to people if you if you think you're not going to hit the date don't pre-sell for that day that's it's not morally the right thing to do yeah but I, I had somebody who was part of our group and he was like, I'm going to have it finished by Easter. As he got closer to Easter, he was saying, big challenges at work, a lot of stuff with COVID and all that type of thing. He said, I'm, I'm probably not going to hit it. It's now going to be probably the end of May. Anyway, he is going to hit the end of May. I said, Steve, remember we first talked? When did you say you were going to have your book ready by? And he went, some point in 2021. I said, and now it's going to be done by the end of the fifth month. Why is that? And he went, because I set a goal for Easter. And I wrote so much in those first few months of the year that actually that's 
what created the momentum. That's brilliant. I think he's going to like that answer. Good. <laughs> okay, so what does your sort of high level process look like for taking that message and actually forming the book so i mean the the stages of your writing process which might include like planning structuring drafting editing that kind of stuff it depends on the book so i had to be brilliant i wrote in four days because i'd already been i could write that in four days because i've been teaching it for years so i knew what to do and i'd made an audio program so i kind of had had the idea um i wrote a book called the edge with the subtitle of how the best get better and that took six years in total, because I decided I was going to research and interview 200 highly successful people. I wish I hadn't done that, Chris, because to be honest, after 20, they were all pretty much saying the same thing. (laughs) But um, I was determined to go with it. But so one day I interviewed a guy called General Sir Mike Jackson, who was head of the British Army. The next day, Danny Mayer, who was one of the world's greatest stress returns. And I picked up both sets of notes. I looked at them, I thought, wow, these two people could actually do each other's jobs because the characteristics were the same. That was that was the thing. So so I think number one, working out the idea, thinking, is this a good idea? You know, uh, do I stand by the idea? Can I write about the idea? Would other people be interested in this idea? And I kind of talked to people a bit about that. You know, I um, had an idea for a book, which I thought was brilliant, called You're, You're Better Than That. And the reason I came up with it was I was lying in bed and I didn't want to get out of bed. And I said to myself, come on, Michael, you're better than that. Get out of bed and get on with your day. And I thought, oh, you're better than that. Oh, that's a good idea. So I came up with this whole structure of the book, how it was going to work. And I've got this group of 10 people who are my real, the the best friends, but they're also really good critics. And I said, I've got this idea for a book. Here's the pitch. And six of them came back and said, you know what? It sounds like you've been told off. You're better than that. Come on, Michael, you're better than that. It's like, "Mm." another one said, the idea is great, but I can't see it being more than a chapter in the book. How would you make that work? And I was like, "Mm." and it didn't get through that first test. Then I wrote a, a book last summer called 17. And 17 was a, a productivity book, that, the little way to get a lot more, a, a lot done. And I realized with that, that actually I could use this concept of 17, 17 minute sprints, 17% more of something, 17% less of other things, creating lists of 17 items because it's the last seven that make you think, all that type of stuff. And I created that book and I wrote that and I wrote it in 17 days. So I set myself a challenge and that was structure. So the title, first of all, what's it going to be called? It's going to be called 17 subtitle, the little way to get a lot done. And then um, I thought, okay, next thing is, should it be 17 chapters? Well, am I extending the 17 thing a little bit too far? As soon as you start thinking, oh, can I think of another chapter? Don't do it. Next phase after that is write the first draft. Get it done. Get it down. And I just sat for, you know, Every single morning, I would start to write and I would say, I'm definitely going to write a minimum of 1,700 words. You can see where the 17 thing is going to go. And that was my goal. I'm going to write 1,700 words before I have a cup of tea, before I eat anything, before I do whatever. That's what I'm going to do. And most days, I was doing two, two and a half thousand words in my first goal. Next stage is leave it for a little while, then then the first edit, and to be ruthless with the first edit. So, uh, And then after that, I, I give it to my wife. And she is even more ruthless with the second edit. So I'm very fortunate. Christine is very good with, she, I say, I say her, her job in our writing relationship is she takes what I've written and makes it make sense, makes it very readable, makes it, you know, so that it kind of just works. And then after that, then off to the editor, fingers crossed that it's going to come back and I'm not going to ball into no, it's not going to create loads of tears and ball, gnash my teeth and bang the desk, but a good editor will probably tidy it up. And then after that, it's, you know, making sure that um, I stand by what's left. I've got to really believe it. 
you know, I've, I've fought for stuff in the past with publishers. So like when I wrote, I wrote a book called Brilliant Life, which I, I think is one of my best pieces of work. And it's my lowest seller you know, out of everything. It sold the least amount of copies, but I think it's one of my best pieces of work. And I remember fighting with the publisher over what was going to be in that book and how it was going to work. At the end of the day, commercially and how it would be sold, they were probably right. But I had to stand by it. I had to stand by my work. So I, it went out the way that I wanted it to and didn't sell as many copies. <laughs> Well, I suppose you win some, you lose some, but at least you're happy with the work. That's the main thing. I love it. You know, I looked at it again the other day and I just was reading it. Somebody, I was about to send a copy to somebody as a gift and I started to read through. I thought, wow, there's some really good stuff in here. Really good stuff. How do you deal with negative reviews or feedback, that kind of thing? What's your kind of stance on it? Do you even pay attention at all? You know, anybody who says they don't read their reviews as a Billy Wiggum storyteller, throw them in the dungeon cellar because everybody does. I remember my first one star review i was absolutely devastated i mean really devastated because it was like this it's like it's like somebody saying to you to you is that your son or is that your daughter yeah yeah how how old is she oh she's only 15 months god she's ugly it's like yeah. that type of thing you know what yeah she's a bit ugly isn't she for a baby what <laughs> <laughs> you know nobody wants to hear that they always want to hear oh she's beautiful she's a bundle of joy oh my goodness i bet she's into everything all that type of stuff so i am um, so getting that first one star review was devastating however what i realized was if i was trying to please all of the people, all of the time, what was going to happen? I was going to end up pleasing nobody. I had to stand by my work and what I was about. So I basically wrote a reply on Amazon, thanking them for the review and did this long explanation about why I did certain things and all that type of stuff. And they came back and said, I'm fancy you feeling you have to defend yourself. You're writing a book called How to Be Brilliant. That's all about confidence and stuff like that. And now you're responding to this. I thought that's a good lesson. Let it go. Let it go. It's gone. It's fine. It's someone opinion and that's it and then literally the next day another five star or four star review arising well that's that's nice but what i've done recently was i um thought i needed to find some ways to promote the fact that i was doing this write that book group so i was thinking about you know you can post all your successful reviews you like and say wow you know i'm a sunday times number one best-selling author it becomes a bit of a so what so i recorded a series of videos of me reading my own one star reviews so i'd read the one star reviews and we had this kind of nice da -da 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 music in the background now would be kind of author reads his own one star reviews and some of them are scathing I mean some of them get very personal about the type of person I am or they think me to be you know five star service American rubbish this American does not understand the British way of I'm thinking I'm from the northeast of England you can't get much more British than this you know somebody else misquoting things about you know what I'd said and which I'd never said in the book but they misquoted it and I just read them out more people watched that than anything else and people will come back and go Michael that's hilarious you know well done you you walk the talk and hey why not you've got to embrace it it's part of the deal that's genius that is yeah, that's uh, flipping it in action there, isn't it? <laughs> well, that was a flip, but yeah, definitely. I interviewed a, a fiction author recently and I said, how do you deal with your first negative review? She said, it was the first review posted for my first book and they gave me two stars and they did a, a big plot spoiler. She said, I couldn't believe it. My first review, massive plot spoiler, 
right in the middle of it and two stars. That's just nasty, isn't it? Some people are just uh, horrible, aren't they? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's um some people really take it personally and you know I'm sure I will when I when I get to that stage as well. Here here's the thing. Who knows what's going on in their lives? If the only way they can get significance is to write a negative review, fine. Let them have their significance. Let them have their moment. You know, my when I started my um my business, my original vision was to positively influence a million lives. Now if that person presses return and has a little moment of oh yeah that showed them it makes them feel good for a little bit you know what in a weird way i've positively influenced their life even by give, even by allowing them to do that negative because if i hadn't written the book they wouldn't be doing the review and, and and that type of stuff and the other thing is just realize that you know what dogs bark cats meow some people are going to write one-star reviews. If you want people to stop writing one-star reviews, you've also got to want to stop dogs from barking and cats from meowing. You know, try to try you try and teach a, a cat to bark or a dog to meow. It's not going to happen. So let it go. It's done. It's fine. Make a lot of money if you could do that. Maybe that's another book <laughs> idea. Book idea there. <laughs> It's a nice title, isn't it? Yeah, Do- yeah. Dogs meow, cats bark. I like it. <laughs> that's a good. That's a good answer. What's your? I noticed you've got some audio books out. What's your experience with those? Recording them, and uh, you know, have they been quite successful? Yeah, um, audio is massive, and it's getting to be bigger. I'm thinking about doing my next book just on audio first, and then do the the hardback and the paperback, which is a bit of a, a flip it on how people normally do stuff. But that's certainly something to consider. The technology now to record your own audiobook is right there it's right in front of us you don't need to have a mega studio you can create a home studio put towels all over your desk and get one of those you know get a half decent microphone and you're off one of the challenges with audio is that you've got um audible pretty much owning the market and they do take a big chunk so i my advice for people now, and again, this is something else that I teach people in, in Write That Book about audio, is use it as part of your sales process with the initial sell. And then once you've exhausted that, then put it onto Audible. Because once it's on Audible, you can't take it back. You can't say, all right, I'll take it off now and I'll have it back. They still have the rights for another 12 months or even 24 months, it might be. It's a long time. Once, you, once you've handed that over, you've signed that contract, you can't just take it off. So you have to be careful about your timing with it. But audio is, is huge. I mean, you'll know with your podcast that the number of people who want to listen to something whilst they're doing something else. So again, that's a, that's a good lesson. It has to be engaging. Reading your own book is fine as long as you're engaging with that. But if you're going to read your book like this and hope that people are going to listen and buy it, then forget it. Yeah. You need to be engaging or treat yourself and pay for somebody else to narrate it. Yeah, I think that's a good point because, I mean, you've got the type of voice that is quite engaging. I've been listening to some audio books and things by a particular author who I really enjoy, but he re- he reads them on Audible mm. and it's kind of monotone and it, it's just... It's not Eckhart Tolle, is it? No, it's not, no. Because... <laughs> <laughs> His books are brilliant. I mean, The Power of Now is just one of the most incredible, game-changing, life-changing books ever. But when he does his audio, I'm just talking in this monotone way. <laughs> is there anything you, you want to add before you go? Do you know, I I, want, I would really like to share with you my big goal that I have now because you and I are very aligned with, with this, wanting to help people and wanting to share knowledge and that type of thing. So I mentioned that I set a goal, which was that I want to positively influence a million lives. And we achieved that about five years ago now and since then people have said well what's going to be next is it going to be 10 million lives so i was like no i just want to positively influence everybody i connect with so 
people who are listening to this. I hope I've made an impact. I hope I've helped you. And over the last year with doing the, the Write That Book group, I've realized that loads of people want to write books. It's a massive thing. It's And it's becoming bigger. And you know, it's so brilliant that you're helping people and supporting that with people to do that, Chris, because it's listening to something that just gives you the confidence and the belief that, that you can. And I thought, Michael, I need a goal. Come on, get yourself a goal around this. What are you going to do? And I came up with a goal last week and we're announcing it just now. And it's, I'm going to help 1,000 people to write 1,000 books in 1,000 days. I like that goal. <laughs> I mean, that it, it's mad. It's massive. I've, I've got no idea how I'm going to achieve it, but I know I'm going to do it. I absolutely know that I'm going to do it, whether that's a children's book, fiction book, a nonfiction book, biography, memoir, tabletop photos book, whatever it might be, thousand people, a thousand books in a thousand days. How are you going to support writers to do that? Is it through your coaching? Through write that book. I mean, we do a pop-up group, which is, um, you know, it's free and people join there and, you know, we've got a new one starting at the beginning of June and it's brilliant. And then we do a masterclass, which is a paid for program where you work with me for 90 days and we cover, I mean, absolutely everything during the masterclass. We do that. So that's, they're the two main ways that I want to do that. I'll provide links to those in the show notes down the bottom. I might sign up myself. I might you be should. one of your 1,000. <laughs> yes, you should do it. You should definitely do it. Well, honestly, you you get a load of people listening to your podcast. Yes, yeah, that would be a, yeah. Do you know what? I think I might. And I think my my friend who asked those questions might be interested as well. You've only got 998 to go. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good start. We've actually got, we've had 30 people published from the first Write That Book Masterclass. And we've got 63, I think, now in the pipeline to be published in the next few months. So it, the momentum's building. That's brilliant. Yeah, you can't get better than that. That's a great goal, isn't it? Helping 1,000. You want it to impact people's lives, 1,000 books. I mean, that, that's amazing, isn't it? Uh, I'm, ex- I mean, I'm very, very excited about it. We've, you know, we had, we've had one person from our first group who she's landed a really big deal, like a, a, a proper big five-figure advance top end of five figures as well wow. she's got a brilliant age and she's just done everything she came with one idea at the start of a pop-up and then three months later she managed to get this mega mega deal it's brilliant and her book comes out next year um early next year i think that one book will probably impact fifty thousand people's lives very very quickly you know people kind of go oh wow writing it writing a book is brilliant yeah it is helping other people to write books that's also brilliant brilliant well thanks for coming on the show this has been a really interesting one really good one well thank you so much. i really appreciate you having me and chris keep on keeping on doing what you're doing i think it, it's so wonderful that you just want to create this content to help people and support people it's it's fabulous the end is mightier than the sword a podcast for writers